Good evening. Today is February 13th. It's a Monday. We are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is Bill's story. Our speaker tonight is Kendall M. Take it away, Kendall. Okay, thank you. I, my name is Kendall. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater coming to you from Texas. Um, glad to be with you this evening. Um, and thank you again for the opportunity to do service. Uh, thank you, Victoria, for asking me to speak. Um, and thank you for all the trusted servants helping with the meeting. Uh, and thank you to all of you for being here. Um, I'm really, uh, it really is humbling. And it's also, you know, being honest, practicing being honest, you know, it, it's a little bit, I get a little bit nervous when talking to all of, you know, all of my people, my peers, you know, we all, all of us, if you are like me, that you're a compulsive overeater and had the problems that I've had with food and after putting down food, realize the other problems with life. It's just a special thing to connect with folks. So I really appreciate being here. So thank you. Um, I want to, uh, so, so that I can keep myself on track, I made, no I took notes uh, on the reading and there's some specific things that I wanted to highlight. Uh, but And I want to just keep it to the text and my experience with it. I found that in recovery, using I, me, and my language when reading things was very helpful for me to relate to all of the literature, but particularly Bill's story. So, uh, you know, because if the, the more that I can identify with Bill, the more I'm like Bill and share Bill's experience, the more I can relate to the fact that I can, too, take the same steps and find recovery as well for myself. Um, so in changing those things, I mean my, when possible, helped me a lot. Um, just very brief qualification, you know, I've been in program since November 11th of 2020 and uh, have and been continuously abstinent for 17 months and have totally released uh, 127 pounds to this date uh, with my highest weight being 464 pounds. Um, for my lead today and for my, for my stage in recovery, I just want to relate to the text as much as I can around uh, just for the focus. I know there are going to be three speakers. So a lot of what I'll be talking about is the powerlessness of the disease of alcoholism, how powerless I was, but also in my case, being an, a compulsive overeater or being an alcoholic with food is kind of how I see that. Um, so with that, page one. Uh, that idea of here was love, applause, war, moments of sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last and in the midst of that of the excitement I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. Uh, now, I was not ever in war times uh, specifically, but what I related to in that was my accomplishment in my life, the things when I felt the most a part of things, when people were praising my successes of the things that I did, because a lot of the attention that was on me often had to do with my weight or my compulsive overeating. Uh, before I learned to eat, uh, I learned to lie. And so that was through people pleasing. Uh, something that I'm realizing is that in people pleasing, it's just a nice way for me uh, to say manipulation. I was a master manipulator. Uh, I needed to know 
what people were thinking about me and what I, how I could fit into a group. And I was really anxious a lot. I grew up in a really anxious home, a high anxiety home, and I needed to keep my emotions away because I felt that they weren't safe in my home. When I found out that food calmed my emotions and soothed that, I could become a part of with other people. It allowed me to connect. It was the social lubricant I needed to work a room. Uh, I'm a musician, so part of that so part of that is being able to go over to tables and talk to people and being able to have those relationships with folks. And I needed those things. I needed food in order to stay in the room. It was how I studied in school. It was how I related to everything. Um, and I was just very afraid. And at some point when I was a kid, I felt disconnected from everybody as if no one, as if I just could not belong in any group. It didn't matter how big the group was or small or what they related. I found what was different about everyone else. And I always felt alone and food made me forget about that. Um, also on page one. Oh, and you know, I'm not going to take my family's inventory, but there were a lot of those comorbidities in my family around alcohol, drugs, food, gambling. I'm convinced that for me, if food, if all of the foods were taken away in the world, but I was dropped into the center of a casino, I would become a gambler. If it doesn't matter, I was going to find a way to connect to something that would change the reality that was around me, left to my own devices. Um, again, on page one, my talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I identified with this grandiose idea of success following me wherever I went and not a blessing from my higher power. I felt that I was given a set of tools, my intelligence, uh, all of my tasks and talents and everything that I could do in my life belonged to me and I could be appreciated for those things. And so, of course, when something would happen, I expected to win. Uh, highly competitive when I would play any game, even if I had never played the game before, I thought I was supposed to win on the first try. So I did a lot of doing my best and quitting lots of things until I got to the things that I was really good at. I was really good at doing stuff in school, really good at music. And so I started pushing away everything else that I couldn't do in my life. Uh, that I couldn't do to what I thought was a measure of perfection. Um, and page two, short line, but definitely as a person that's pretty driven in general in life, and as I associated that with Bill as well, was the line on page two, I'd prove to the world I was important. Uh, I saw that everything that I did was a mark of some sort of legacy that was going to be left behind for, for the ages. Uh, and I wish that I was really speaking with hyperbole, but I am a person that I associate myself as a, I call it future tripping. I'm constantly thinking about new businesses. I'm thinking about new jobs, opportunities, new relationships, more, more, more better, filling my schedule as if my schedule is my higher power. The more stuff I could do meant the more that I was worth in my life. And I was going to prove it. I had a chip on my shoulder about most of those experiences in my life. Um, and now, again, on page two, 
Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would steal her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceived their best projects when drunk and that the most, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. Um, I identify with this as my thinking about my, how my mind functioned was necessary to my career. It was inextricably linked, that there was no separation between how I thought about the world and what I was able to do for other people or for myself. So a part of my creative genius, as I saw it in my life, was my compulsive eating. Uh, I had to eat. Uh, to finish projects, major projects when hired for contracts. I had to eat to finish assignments, to do mundane tasks around the house. Uh, I needed reward centers around everything. There were snacks everywhere in my house to congratulate me as I, as I went along in my day. And it was a part of what I thought was my muse. I thought if I didn't eat, I wouldn't be able to do any of the things that, I was able to do in my, that I'm able to do in my life. If, if I put the food down, all of it would stop. I lost my connection to that energy, to, to the creative consciousness, to, to a higher power. I thought I was living my life as if food was my higher power and was the conduit to connecting to the world. Um, in page two, as I talked about before, but this quote, uh, business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Um, sometimes, uh, I, was, I think I was operating in my life, and uh, I was operating in my life in a way where I thought that my higher, and I didn't know that my higher power was protecting me, but I thought it was all me. So I thought I was good, but... I was actually just lucky. Uh, lots of things where I would be in situations with people, I could find the quote-unquote right thing to say and create a new relationship and get a new business experience. Uh, or I would say the wrong thing to the quote-unquote right person that didn't sacrifice my career. Complaining about... A, is that 10? That's, that's 10 minutes, Kendall. Sorry. Oh, no, it's good. Thank you. Thank you, Mia. Um the yeah so you know like uh i would find the right thing what i thought was the the right thing to say to the right person or i would complain about a boss to someone who didn't have loose lips about it uh because i was always complaining and talking about how i could do a job better than other people when i was hired with people uh i thought that that was also that social capital was something that helped me stick around and kept me kept me afloat and kept me in the know is if I knew everyone's dirt, if I knew what everyone was doing, I could best position myself as the most successful person or the right person for the job. And so some of those times it didn't come back to bite me, but I got success anyway. And you know what I wanted to be for success. And I thought it was just because that's how the world was supposed to function for me. But perhaps it was my higher power whom I call God was protecting me for a later date, but also waiting for me to surrender to what was going to eventually knock me down, which was the food. Um, you know, but it also applied to medical things. So 
yeah, I thought I was good, but getting lucky, getting lucky with uh, physical uh, comorbidity. So, you know, I'd go to the doctor and, you know, I've been over 300 pounds since I was 14 years old and I was 350 when I was about 14 or 15. Uh, and, you know, I'd go to the doctor, I'd be morbidly obese and, you know, my doctor would tell me I need to lose weight and all these things. But in my head, I would just read the research. I would just read uh, the chart and say, well, okay, I'm obese, but I don't have high blood pressure. So that's good. Uh, I don't have uh, blood sugar problems or my cholesterol is that of a normal person. I know people that are half my weight and have higher cholesterol. And so I would think about all of those things, but not the things that were killing me, hurting my joints and would eventually... So that speculation that I could beat and the boomerang of the compulsive eating was going to, would eventually take me down. Um, in page three, uh, my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. Now, I associate with that because I eventually... The food and the eating got so bad, I started isolating and I started pushing my friends and family out of my life. At first, not by just not calling, but then eventually I would start to say really embittered things when they gave up calling me all the time. And then thinking that nobody cared about me. I've heard people say it in sort of shares. They would say that it was sort of this ego in reverse. Uh, you know, I'm the piece of crap that the universe revolved around. I really had such a really low self-esteem and low self-worth thought that, oh, these people don't want to be around me. So I pushed everyone away. I don't need them. I was going to be successful and fine without anyone. Um, and now on pages four and five, they're dealing with some of the issues of specifically about the stock market. But uh, my sort of some career bottom things for me were I missed out with opportunities with various organizations. By this point, I'm in my mid-20s. Uh, because of my weight, and I missed out on some contracts and tours because it would have been too expensive to fly me out. Uh, my arrogance and fault-finding with leaders, eventually with people that were moving up the career ladders, they stopped calling me for things. Uh, I would quit jobs just like maybe five seconds before getting fired uh, or not ask back to work with people because I was really arrogant and self-serving. I was So the mask was being pulled back. As the food got worse and worse, I started those wounds that had not healed yet. The, that God-shaped hole was bigger and bigger. Um, and so during that time, eating was my full-time job. Um, so, you know, I would have to have snacks to get out of bed or to go to bed uh, before my next task at home or work or school and couldn't get in the car without food or going to get food. That was one of the first things I had to do. I would be late to work before I wouldn't, before I would miss out on going to a gas station or a fast food place before going to work. That was the most important thing. Um, but then, you know, on pages five, six, and seven, but one of my favorite quotes here is on page five, I woke up, this had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business. And so I did. That's but of course, minutes. thank you, Mia. Uh, and, and so I did. But of course, I identified with that, that really strong sense of self-will. This time, it will be different. Where the 
you know, I've, I don't know how many times I've said that. I've done dozens of diets, pay in ways, elimination diets, intermittent fasting, uh, intuitive eating, whatever you want to, like, whatever it is. I've tried everything. Uh, I even tried joining a special group for a special type of diet where uh, they're working on blood sugar and you were measuring all of this stuff and I managed to gain weight on this oh. diet that was supposed to be uh, just, um, I managed to gain weight on this diet that was supposed to be so uh, calorically dense, like a, like the food was to be so high volume, but I'm a volume eater. Flour, sugar, dairy, and volume are my uh are the killers for me. So when I eat too much food, whether it's apples or spinach, when I get full, it's round two. I have to eat again. So I have to weigh and measure as a part of my program today. Um, and so, but I was always honest and passionate about the statement, this time it will be different. Um, and every time I would get on a diet, I would fall off for really simple reasons. I forgot to pack a snack. I got too many compliments on my weight loss. Not enough people commented on my weight loss. And I should be able to handle a little bit of and insert whatever that food is for you. I could sprinkle it on top of this salad. It should be fine. It's never fine uh, for me. Uh, and then, of course, page six, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. Uh, what I thought was my bottom in this program was in 2018. In 2018, I was diagnosed with uh, as a type 2 diabetic. I went into diabetic ketoacidosis. My blood sugar was over 400. I was in the ICU. Uh, and the nurse there and doctor told me I was going to die if they ever saw me again with the food. And I binged a week later. I thought that that was my bottom. But I had to do this for two more years. I had to lose over a hundred pounds and gain it back with interest, try to get bariatric surgery and be denied because I, I wasn't going to be compliant and my insurance wasn't going to cover me. So I thought that meant I was going to die. Um, and so the pandemic, of course, not leaving the house, not even having to interact with people to buy food, uh, to put stuff in the grocery store, that two sent minutes, me into it. Two, two minutes, Kendall. Thank you, Mia. That sent me into the spin out of disaster, going from gas station to grocery store to fast food place, eating my way to oblivion. But, uh, you know, self-knowledge I thought was going to be my answer, you know, that reference on page seven, but I had all of the knowledge and I was still doing this stuff anyway. And I just do want to spend a bit of time talking about step two and three for myself because there's hope in getting into this room one of the people that was a part of my identification in this program is here today um, and when i heard her share i heard my story out of her mouth and i will be forever grateful to amy b because i she was the first speaker i heard that was a compulsive overeater like me. It was the first time I went to a meeting. It was the first time I identified as a compulsive overeater. And I've been in these rooms since. She helped me find my sponsor, who I identify with, uh, who's basically just like me, but like from, he's also from the same city. I'm from outside of Chicago. 
it was a, it was God shot after God shot. So coming to believe, what I realized that the power greater than myself was the power the great uh, the power of my under, uh, the the God of my understanding that I had as a child. I had never tested. I had tested alcoholism with food my whole life. I had a relationship with food. I knew exactly what food was going to do with me, but I had never tested my higher power. When I started testing my higher power and using this program, going to meetings, calling people, I found out that this program works for me. But that's the experience that I want to share uh, today is that I tested. Oh, that's time. Thank you, Mia. I, and I'll wrap with just saying I was able to test my self-will and compulsive eating and I tested my higher power. My higher power comes through for me every single day. And so thank you for the opportunity to share. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much for your service, Kendall. That was delightful. We'll now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine if you're on the phone. The Zoom host, not the Zoom host, me, uh, will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. With timekeeper, please set timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. Three minutes for each question um, also. Um, or the answers to each question. Uh, the hand I see at the moment is Victoria. Take it away, Victoria. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Uh, thank you so much to our speaker for agreeing to do service tonight. And I have a question um, because I just felt like we were really on a roll and I have to ask, I have to know more. You know, I heard you say, your higher power shows up for you every time. Like that's that's the experiment that passed where all the other ones failed was sort of the way I was interpreting that. And I, I have that same experience, but how have you seen, um, if you could give us a few examples of what is the transformation that we see Bill go through and how how might have you seen a transformation in yourself now that you've adapted this new way of living? Thank you so much. Thank you for the question, Victoria. Um, for me, uh, as I saw in the text, the transformation, particularly after, so he has the knowledge of knowing that he's an alcoholic. He knows that his mind and body are broken without some connection from a power greater than himself. When he takes the third step, one of the things that I see there is service uh, and the connection to service. Uh, because of that connection to service, one of the most, uh, I know it's not in directly in Bill's story, but the hyperlink that my brain always goes to is the first two sentences of, um, sorry, I'm opening my big book. Uh, first two sentences of chapter seven, working with others. Practical experience shows that nothing will do so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Uh, being, rigorously, uh, being rigorously honest is an example of uh, intensive work with another compulsive overeater for me. When I tell the truth about my condition and where I am in the day, no matter where I am in the steps, 
When I tell the truth to another person that I want to eat, I don't eat. And I don't know why that works, but that has been my experience. Every single time I open my mouth and say, I'm going to eat, I don't eat. And every time I've said, I'm fine, or this will be fine, I should be able to handle this, whether it's a food or a person, place, or thing, institution, every time I say, oh, that's cool, it's cool, I'm headed right towards food. So in terms of using the, ter- uh, so using the tools, so service, praying and meditating, uh, practicing two-way prayer has helped me with other situations in my life and being in a meeting where people are sharing those materials as well. Um, being tapped into that power grid of myself, though, started right with the plate, but it also started with that rigorous first step honesty of where am I, what am I feeling in the moment and what am I thinking of doing? are really important things to be honest with in an outreach call. Because as soon as I got honest about that, things really started to change for me. And the very brief story I'll share is I was maybe day five or six in program and I was pulling into a fast food restaurant because I just had caught a case of the efforts. I was just, it was over. And I pulled in and for some reason I answered the phone on accident when I was in line and it was somebody from OA that person helped me walk all the way, drive all the way through the drive through and not get food and stayed with me as I drove all the way to the highway and got on the highway and went home. I had a 45-minute outreach call, and I'll be forever grateful to that person as well because that saved my life, I'm convinced. But Gentleman I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Thank you both. Meredith B., you are up next. Hey, everybody, Meredith in um, Nashville, Tennessee, compulsive overeater. Kendall, thank you. Gosh, that was so great. Um, every, everything that you um, highlighted in those first pages, so did I. <laughs> everything you said, I was like, oh, I have that underlined too. Um, and I wrote by, I proved to the world I was important. I wrote in the margin, I, I'd proved to myself I was important. Um, I don't know how I was going to do that in the food, but man, I just identified with so much, um, even down to um, where you, you know, I, where you, you said, I saw I could not take so much as one drink. And I wrote in the margin, how many times have I said this? Um this this um, idea of saying it's fine. It's fine. I mean, this is probably fine. This thing that I'm about to do, and um, I was reporting to my sponsor about a, a change in my food, which was it was like a neg. It, it was a it was no change at all. Like I was changing one green for another, and I. Um, I said, this is no big deal. I just, you know, felt like I should say I'm, I'm trading this thing out for that. And she said, um, in my experience, if I tell myself it's not a big deal, it's probably a big deal because then the next thing, you know, I'm, um, trading kale for jelly beans or, you know, whatever. Um, and another thing that came up this weekend, but that you just 
really confirmed is um, this a speaker I saw on Saturday. And then again on Sunday, actually, she really was hitting home this idea that God is the answer to all my problems. And right before that meeting, um, I just, I started making a budget, which I've been avoiding it for years now. And it's no way to live. And I mean, I think that was a like a movement from God too, that I could, I had to put it on paper and I was like, oh, this fear shot through me. And um, normally my reaction would be like, I've got to quit my job. I've got to update my resume. I got to make more money. Like, ah, you know, do all these things. And I just thought, okay, I have this information now. Um, I'm not going to go crazy with it. I'm going to pray about it and, and just, I'll go about this in a sane fashion. Um, and I just, a reminder. Okay, I just wanted to say thank you for um, bringing up, you know, what that um, fellows share meant to you. I just, it, it's so amazing. The power of our stories for one another. It's just it's life-changing, life-saving, actually. So I'll pass. Thank you so much, Kendall. Thank you, Meredith B. Amy B., you are up next. Thank you so much, Ian. And thank you, Yvonne. And thank you, Mia. Thank you, everybody doing service at this meeting. Amy B., compulsive overeater, living very gratefully in a recovered state from the food today. Kendall, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for taking us through the book, for being faithful to the book, for relating to Bill's story with your own words, because that's such an important piece. Bill's story was one of the chapters at the beginning that I really liked the least. I kind of skipped over it. I felt like it had nothing to do with me. Um, and now it's one of my favorite chapters, and I see myself in it all over the place. Um, and I've been doing an exercise and seeing other people's um, results of the same, actually rewriting this chapter, following his life, but with examples from my own. And it is illuminating, really, really, really thoughtful to connect to this. And the thing that has stuck out for me in this chapter lately, um, and you mentioned it, oh, I have it open and then of course my book flipped. Um, uh, on page two, the line about out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Self will run riot. I have forged all of the weapons from a place of fear and scarcity and selfishness. Wanting to recover, to do well, to succeed, to survive. Um, and they all were boomerangs because of that, that origin of fear and scarcity as opposed to a higher power and um, divine ideals and love. and. Um, Apologies for the crosstalk, but 
this is about connection, this fellowship. And all of us, whether we're connected directly like Kendall and I are and other folks, or we're connected through each other and through God, God is the thread of love that is woven within us all. This is a we program. This is a collective. Um, I'm I'm so grateful to be here. So grateful to be here. Thanks, everybody. I- Thank you for your share, Amy. Francesca, you're up next. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for your service. And Yvonne and Mia, everyone. Um, Hi, I'm Francesca, compulsive overeater and bulimic. Um, Thank you so much, Kendall. I loved that. I related so much. Um, Just, ooh, just like, like having to, just this, the way you talked about this compulsion of just like, you know, saying that you needed to get the food before you went to work, you know, just like, just that sort of like snap that like, nope, nothing else matters. And just being willing to do anything, burn any bridge, lie, say whatever, steal, you know, for food. Um, and I just, you painted that picture, um, so chillingly and, um, I related so much and I'm grateful for that because, um, it's important to remember, the basics of who I am, that I'm a compulsive overeater. And for a while, I was like resentful of that. And I thought like, oh, well, like if I keep saying I am like, why am I endorsing that? But, you know, this, I come here and I hear and see people like you and it it works. Like um, I heard people, um, I've heard like statistics about um, People who've lost over a hundred pounds and kept it off. I think it's like seven percent, four or 7%. And then people who've lost over 200 pounds. There's no statistics on it because, and kept it off because it's such a slim margin. And so, you know, I, in this program lost like 60 pounds or something, and then gained it back with interest. I loved that. Um, when I was not doing this program, when I was in and out and, and whatever. And, um, and you talked about that too. And just that, like, um, in Bill's story, it says like the mind is like, uh, what a marvel or what a thing the mind is that I had to go through this suffering for two more years. Uh, but to be able to show up here and be grateful for that and be like, oh, I guess that's what I needed to do because to like, believe this and, it's just crazy. And, um, you know, today I'm on day nine of abstinence and on day six, I wanted to, it was so hard. Oh my God. It was so, it was just awful. But like today a fellow called me and she was in a really hard place and I was able to be there for her. And if I was like in the food or still on day six, like, cause for months now it's been like the day six, the proverbial day six. And, um, I wouldn't have answered the phone. I would have been like, oh, she's still struggling, you know? And so, you know, just remembering that I wake up every day an untreated compulsive overeater. And though that I have these tools and I don't want to do them a lot of the time. I, I just, you know, in the big book, it says like we at alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us with the simple tools laid out here, you know? Thank you so much, Mia. Um, Thank you so much, Kendall, for that share. And um, last thing I'll say is um, when you said I had never tested my higher power, 
wow, just beautiful. Um, and when I say I want to eat, I don't eat. And when I say I'm fine, I'm not. Um, so thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Francesca. We will now uh, stop the recording for unrecorded questions and shares.